0: I I see hitting almost like a a dark arts, almost like a Harry Potter wizard thing. I do think you almost have to have some magical ability. There's something in the timing. There's something in being able to dance with the pitcher to be able to just meet the ball with the sweet spot of the bat that can't be taught. But it it obviously can be refined, and it's a skill that can be built up. But it's almost like if you don't – if one of your parents wasn't a wizard – you're not going to be a wizard. You can't make things levitate.
1: Bill Miller said it was – when I asked him the same question, he goes, well, I mean, it's the hardest thing in the world to do, hit a round ball with a round bat. You know, he just went to the old-school answer. And, but, he, you know, th- that's an all-world hitter right there, won a batting championship. <laughs> yeah, you no, know? yeah, well, because he –
0: he, because he had the dark art, and he perfected it. I haven't done the research, but I've read enough articles that, that – that, what is it, maybe 20 feet away, you, you physically can't see the ball – from 20 feet till in. So what happens is your brain picks out where that ball is gonna be and you take your bat there. So it becomes reps and seeing the pitching, you see spin, you see angles, knowing where that ball is gonna be when it's at home plate to take your bat to it. So what you're essentially doing is you're seeing the future. Did did I say maybe the best hitters might have some sort of innate magical ability? (laughs) Possibly.
1: John Beanick has a tremendous eye for talent and is a very unique baseball mind. We spent three years together as colleagues when I first became an agent and we found very quickly that we shared many similar viewpoints when it came to player evaluation and development. John from the player side and myself from the front office side. Since retiring from professional baseball, John has worn many hats. He spent time in Las Vegas as a professional poker player Coached baseball at the D1 and prep school level, and represented professional and amateur players as a baseball agent. In this episode, we talk about expectations amateur players should have when entering Pro Bowl, the potential strategies teams and players may have with a shortened five round 2020 MLB draft, how he considers hitting in the big leagues a dark art, and how some baseball players could survive as a pro wrestler, but probably not the other way around. When scouts are, are evaluating amateur players, there's always a confusion, I believe, with players sometimes, but more so like fans of college baseball or parents of college baseball players, where they just don't understand why their son that hit 18 home runs in the Big East isn't getting drafted. But Sure, sure. <laughs> well,
0: you know, well this, this, this kind of goes along, too. It's going to be interesting to see if the MLB goes to less rounds, too. Um, Because I I actually read your article or what you wrote about how more rounds and keeping all those minor leaguers kind of, they're just basically selling them hope. Um, So they're keeping them at this cheap rate. But if it goes, I I agree with you. I totally agree with the point. But if it goes to five rounds, it's going to be one of those things now where that dude at like the 300th RPI D1 who, you know, going to his junior years be like, dude, if I rake, I'm getting drafted. I don't know if he's going to be able to have that hope, even though it's really not realistic. Now, it's really not going to be realistic if they're only going to a five or a 10 round thing. Um, because you know, I've been around so many guys at every level D when I coach D3 D1, um, you know, played every dude thinks that it's just like, all right, this is my year. Like they could have never been even looked at by a scout before they have zero tools, but they're like, I'm going to piece it together this year this is it. And I, I mean, I think that's some of the beauty of baseball. And I don't know if that's going to change is like something with like basketball, like basketball, is, it seems a little more cut and dried. Like, you know, like that dude, I can't play against that dude, but in baseball, you don't really know. You're like, well, man, I got, I got two hits off that guy. That guy's thrown 96. He's going to go in the third round. Like me. Why am I not going in the third round? Um, I, I, I find that fascinating. But then the more you're around it, like you are, it kind of becomes a little more cut and dried. I I think it's almost like, so, you know, as a kid, if you go to Disney world or let's say any water park or anything and man, like in my head, things used to be so big. And then as an adult, when you go to all these places, it's like, man, it's not as cool as I thought it's kind of dirtier. It's smaller. I feel like that's kind of like the scouting world as a player. You're just like, you, you don't realize how cut and dried it is. But then when you're around the game, you know, you've been around for a long time, you could walk out to an amateur field and basically almost cut a guy off if he doesn't walk on the field the right way. Like, you don't even need to see him do much unless he does something absolutely special. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I just find it interesting.
1: Obviously, the five rounds is limited to this year. They're not going to continue with five rounds. There's no way you could develop baseball players I mean, you just wouldn't have, okay, so 10, well, I kind of thought 20 would make sense. Okay. Okay. You know, because I mean, my, my point of view is from my experience, when I was in the draft room with the Dodgers, I remember just not the 20th round exactly, but right around there is when, you know, teams start moving away from picking the best available to, Hey, what do we need roster wise at the minor leagues in the the lower levels? And to me, that's, that's where we get into the selling hope. We're, 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 we're get, grabbing players based on needs, not on potential of the player, talent of the player. Basically, do you do you make the cut that you won't get embarrassed in pro ball because you're the best available at a position that we have a need? Otherwise, if we didn't have a, if we had a guy at that position, we wouldn't have drafted you. Like that, that to me, once you get into that, then you're watering down the system. But you do need to field players around your prospects. I, don't, I get that, but you know, 40 rounds seems seems pretty egregious. So if you if you narrow it to 20 or so, you can solve. A lot of problems i mean you're going to have a lot of problems with minor league baseball because they depend on the players to play games at their stadiums and whatnot and make money at the same time they're having that this is kind of forcing the uh force of baseball to contract minor league teams as well so it's i think it all will kind of fit together eventually into a system that makes way more sense and i've been complaining about for years that i was like there's sure. nothing you can do about this there's you're in agreement with minor league baseball to field enough players to supply these many teams so you have to draft, you kind of have to draft these main players. And it's not an efficient system. It's not fair to, to a lot of players who they don't know that they're just picked because they, they needed a left fielder or, you know, a catcher at Ogden. A, back, a third
0: string backup catcher at Lowell or Williamsport. Yes, they need somebody to catch the dude's bullpen.
1: Like, catchers
0: are the ones who get abused the most. Like, those guys literally have no chance of making it, and they're just getting beat up every day. But they get to play pro ball. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's a balance. But so what is the word on the going to the four teams and then the complex team? Is that a done deal?
1: No, no, I don't think any of it's a done deal. Some of the things I've been reading, not even keeping the same structure, the same leagues, like they were talking that they may even bring over an independent league team from St. Paul because geographically it makes sense and their facilities are really nice. So it's like, yeah, we'll take, we'll take that St. Paul team. And we'll get rid of uh, what's the one in kentucky that's brutal <laughs> you know there's millions of them but like lexington yeah but like to me we'll though, get rid of I lexington say,
0: i would not i'm sorry not lexington lexington is actually gorgeous though i want to oh. uh you know what i'm talking about what am i talking about?
1: bowling I green
0: yeah well but here's the thing i think though st paul is going to come in i think that's a different conversation because st paul's sl- get a slotted to be a double a or triple a team i think those leagues are you're not going to see a big change. It's going to be, are you going to see a change in the a ball short season that I think that's where it's going to be? Because like, we've talked about this before. Baseball, basically professional baseball starts at double A as much as nobody wants to admit it. Like the kid who's playing low A um, in the, in the Midwest league, he's not going straight to the big leagues. Like it's just not happening. That happens maybe once every 30 years. Like that's just a different league. And like, to be honest, like people aren't going to like do this, like, Top college baseball, top 25, top 50 college baseball is better than low A. Um, In terms of, not in terms of prospects, not in terms of tools on the field, but in terms of how the game is played crisper, because the pitchers can locate a little better. You have a Friday night pitcher, Saturday night pitcher, who may never pitch in the big leagues, but they can locate. They can throw three, four pitches. Low A, you know, you'll see still a lot of high school kids that throw 95, but it's ball one, ball two, 95 down the middle. So it's a different game, I would say, even like, you know, high level college baseball is bigger is better than low A, um, Not in terms of prospects, but just how the game is played. So I, I don't, that's why I see it changing. And I don't know how they're going to do it. Because you still have to get those high school kids or the college kids and give them those couple years to develop. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, do you just have a complex team and you just basically got to make it out and then you have the low A high A, and you get rid of those short season teams? Or I mean, is that the thought?
1: I think everything's up in the air right now. I mean, anything's I mean, it, to me, it makes sense. Like, I haven't really seen this discussed as much. I mean, teams switching levels, yes, but like, like, take Dayton, Ohio. They have like a really nice stadium and it's in a metropolitan area, not like a huge city, but like Dayton's a, a you know, it's not a farm town. Why not make that a double A team or a triple A team as opposed to, you know, in the Midwest League? So make those switches now where, you know, the facilities are nicer and, 'Cause sometimes you get these Midwest League teams, these low A teams, and they have rich owners like Midland, Michigan, which isn't in the greatest location for like a triple A team, but a double A or a double A team because you know just the, the market, but they have like a triple A stadium. They have a yeah. really nice, beautiful stadium because the franchise is funded by Dow Chemical, which is in the same yeah. town and they're it's beautiful. No, yeah. The last time I was through the
0: Midwest League, I was actually very impressed by the quality of the stadiums in the league. So I you know, I, I think there's enough good stadiums to go around probably to populate probably to populate four leagues you know if you're going to go low a high a double a triple a um, but then the question is see to me to me those are easy you're even your high a double a triple a because your high a you could you could slot kids right in from college. You got your top five rounders, top ten rounders. They can go, yeah, they might struggle a little high A, but they'll be fine. Throwing them into double A would be a little unfair because you're not you're not gonna go from playing college baseball right into double A. You're gonna get your doors kicked. In. But like they'd be able to sink or swim in, at high A, which would be fine. The question is though, like you draft the 18-year-old kid that's super raw and you 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 know, you're not expecting him to do anything for four years. Where is he gonna play for four years? Does he gonna wanna sit? in the GCL than just play in front of nobody um, for four years down there. You know, Uh, so I don't don't know what the right answer with that without changing the whole system completely.
1: So I asked Billy Miller the same thing. Do you think as far as from a development standpoint that you can cut levels and not disturb? Like how many levels can you cut without Mm. disturbing development with some of these players? I mean, the one thing, you know, when you talk about like the 18-year-old that gets drafted out of high school, like, maybe maybe the result of all this is that more high school players go to college, less yeah, get drafted I, I, because I the teams know that that's a better environment to develop than the, the environment they're creating now with less leagues, less levels. You get more of the top-round high school talent that actually could go to low A and survive because they're that sure. good, and less of the guys that I don't know hang around in Arizona League or Florida League, rookie ball, until they develop.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where those guys end up, though, because a lot of those guys, I would say, the reason they end up there is because they're not college qualifiers. Like, we've already talked about this. We've talked about this before, how we would be big proponents of guys going to college and developing there because it's not only the game-wise, but emotionally, mentally, physically, everything. It's It's just good to develop those three years rather than going straight from high school to playing professional baseball, which is essentially a traveling circus. Um, but now, where do those kids end up? Those kids who may not have got the grades, maybe because it's work ethic, maybe it's just because they just, ha- you know, they're not going to get the grades. They're not academics. Um, so I, you know, but maybe that's the kids that that fall off the wayside that we're not helping out. And how many of those kids really make it anyway? So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll help them. Maybe it'll actually keep them from then playing five years in the minors, coming out at twenty three with no job skills probably not going to use their funding to go back to college um and they've wasted five years of their life that they could have been doing something else to kind of figure it out but i i I mean i don't know
1: yeah i mean i kind of see that by doing this you kind of organically change the landscape of recruiting you know and scouting Mm into where it forces teams to almost make decision f- decisions for the masses and they're like a player that I've seen so many times this isn't just like a one-off you see it all the time where these players they sign you know maybe the end of day two or an early day three out of high school and maybe they're not the best student but they can still get into college and they say forgo college they go into pro ball and then two years later when they're they can't get out of rookie ball college kind of pass them by and they 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 have a career that's five years long and at that point they don't want to go back to college i'm just seeing so many times where minor leaguers kind of paint themselves in a corner because they play so long chasing the dream and then once they realize that they're not going to make it it's kind of like falling off a cliff you know it's like now what?
0: Part of it's too, because at that point, maybe they've started a life. They have a girlfriend, they have a wife, um, you know, maybe they have a kid at that point. Now they're 23 and this wife does not want them going back to basically, like they need to make money to support a family. And that's, I think, the hard part. Now, if it goes to that five or 10 round thing, and we have five minor league teams, legitimately 75% of the guys who get in will have a shot. You know, obviously more people are going to have, a, the, the, the better players are going to have a better shot. and Not everybody has the same shot. But if you get into a system like that, you're probably talented enough that if things break the right way, you become consistent, you have a shot at the big leagues. Like right now, I don't know off the top of your head, what would you say, you know, out of the minor leagues, if there's 150 guys in a system, I I would say probably 100 of those guys legitimately have no shot at playing in the big leagues. Yeah, no, I I
1: did. I I had to do the research for the blog post I I had and, you know, 85%. Now, this is kind of like a misleading statistic, too, because you know as well as I do, uh, if you take a 15% success rate, getting to Major League Baseball for one day, mm. that's, what, that's reality. That's, it's 15% of all minor leaguers get to the big leagues at least for one day. 85% don't get no. to the big leagues at all. So, no. but how, what percentage of that 15% are in the big leagues for more than two years, three years? I think there's a huge drop off there, too. So I really think the success rate to have a, a significant major league career where you actually earn some life-changing money, is probably around 5%, 3 to
0: 5%. Sure, but I think, I think there is some value to even playing one day in the big leagues. Because if you play one day in the big leagues, that opens up a lot of jobs, um, sales jobs, different things. Because there, there is a big difference being able to say, I played major league baseball. That carries a lot of weight across the country, across job markets, than saying I played in Clinton, Iowa, low A ball. So, but let's let's call that to me. Let's say, let's still say that's success. So that's fifteen percent you have that made it. So you know that's out of a you know out of, if you have a two hundred minor league person minor league system count and that, that means what thirty guys make it so you you have a hundred and seventy who legitimate well, probably one hundred and fifty have no shot because maybe twenty made it didn't make it because of injury or things just didn't go their way, so you're you're, you're having seventy five percent of the guys that are in there right now legitimately have no shot um, at making it but I, I think the problem is like I think what what in your article like you pointed out um is that they're selling to the guys. No one's telling these kids, look, you have no shot. You're just going there to play on this team. Enjoy pro baseball while you can. But I, I don't I don't know if you'd have kids staying around as much or would they still do I I don't know. I because there's benefits to playing professional baseball, but I think the way the system is now, the the false hope hurts a lot of kids too.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think anyone's it's the teams aren't incentivized to be transparent to the player. In this instance, like, it does, okay, you, you sign a player, and he's a 35th rounder, and he's going to play catcher at your rookie ball club. Okay, and he went to a four-year college, and now he's going to start a you know, minor league career at 22 years old. He, in his mind, may think, I have a shot. I, I'm, in, I'm in the game. Uh, I got my ticket, and we'll see what happens. You know, who knows how long he's going to give himself to play. But the, the major league club is likely not putting much resources into his career. If you tell that player, hey, you know, you're really only a role player and we need you for this purpose, and we we think that you're really good at th- these things and you can help our pitchers who are have a shot at the big leagues, and you realize at that moment after you sign that you're just there to help other players, how incentivized are you to like really stick it out in Pro Bowl? As before, if you if you weren't told that, as it is today, where Players just get signed by teams, and here's your contract, and good luck. Then you're at the mercy of your own conscience as far as how, how long you want to play and how long you want to chase, chase the dream to be a big leader.
0: Yeah, which is kind of fun, too. So, I mean, it's one of those things, I think, as long as everyone's transparent about their issues, it's kind of like dating. Um, if you If you tell the other person what your intentions are, they can't be mad at you. Because I, I know tons of guys, shoot, guys we worked with in the past, now that they're 25, 26, 27, they're like, hey, I'm going to these tryouts once, once COVID is over. Dude, let's go up to Quebec for the, the independently trial. And, you know, these are guys with good degrees from big time institutions, and they still want to play baseball. So, but I think, I think though.
1: So, my, but my point is, my point is they can still play it, but not at the professional, not at the affiliated level.
0: Or they can, can, but they should just, it needs to be, the team should be more transparent to the players, especially in terms of what they're signing them for the role um, and different things like that. But I don't know, maybe, though, like you said, if we go to five or 10 rounds and you go to five minor league teams, now you're at a legitimate system where pretty much everybody has a chance.
1: Um, and you can afford to be transparent. That allows the teams to be much more transparent than they are you know, otherwise sure. with 40 rounds of the draft. And if you tell everyone the truth of how you really feel about them, then you're probably going to get a lot of guys that retire early.
0: Yeah. No, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm interested to see when they do the five rounds this year what the breakdown of high school to college guys is. Are they – like in my head, I'm thinking they're going to go heavier college. Um, because of the uncertainty, you're you're not going to want. You didn't get to see this kid all spring. He's younger, um, but we'll see we'll see because maybe it's still best available. But I don't know. What is your thought on that?
1: I mean, well, I think the first round or two is always best available, no matter what. Because mm-hmm. I mean, this you're going to have enough. These guys have been scouted for the past three years, whether they're in, likely if they're in high school or college. For the most part, ninety five percent of them. Five mm-hmm. percent of them, you know, maybe they had a breakout year as a junior in high school, and you know, they scouts are really looking to follow up with them as a senior but you know that that's not i don't think that's the majority of players in high school uh so I, I feel like they have a decent idea to where at least the first few rounds are going to be best available and then yeah as far as like taking risks on players then it, it makes more sense to go the college route where you have more of a track record and you've seen these guys for a longer period of time they're a little bit closer to developed at that point than maybe a raw upside high school pitcher or something but it's it's interesting it will be definitely interesting to kind of see how teams strategize the draft this year um i also heard that teams could basically draft five rounds in the first three they pick players that are legit and then use rounds four and five or five as like cost saving measures as they did with 10 rounds I,
0: I, I, well, I thought of that because there's a couple of kids I know that I, I don't know if they're going to go to the top five. They, they would have definitely gone in the top seven otherwise. But now, if, are they the kid that say if they come to the fifth round and they're like, well, hey, we need you to save some money. We're going to give you lo- less than fifth round money because we want to sign these other guys. Now, are they going to sign? I mean, that's what, that's what hurts the kids this year. That, I mean, there's probably what's called 200 kids in the country that would have got at least 100,000. Um, that they're not going to now, so that kind of sucks. I mean, I, I feel for those kids because that's a, a significant chunk of change with another year of school paid for if they're a junior. Now, do they sign for twenty thousand? That's an interesting number because it's like, like knowing what I know now, um, I would probably say yes. You still sign for twenty thousand, and as long as the the Major League Baseball fund pays for your senior year of college if you legitimately want to be a Major League Baseball player. If you're not looking at it and you're like, I need to get in at an earlier age, I need to play. But if you're looking at it like, if you're one of those tweeners that you're like, I don't know if I really have a shot, I love baseball, I want to play pro ball, but it's not like, I also have a life, I enjoy college. It's not as clear cut a decision. I would have thought in the past, like I think anybody would be foolish as a junior in the past, to turn down 100,000 and another year of school paid to go back for your senior year. If you truly want to play Major League Baseball, you know, yeah, the college experience, you know, you see all these kids, they get glorified because they're 50-year seniors at Arkansas, and they're 25 years old. And then then baseball America's like, well, why isn't this guy a first-rounder? It's like, dude, because he's 25. There's been a dude that's nine years in the minor leagues already, like, and he's going to go down and play with the 16 and 17-year-olds. like, yeah, he's 25. He should be, be beating up 20 and 21-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds. So, like, you see that a lot, like, you know, and, and they glorify those guys. But it's like, all right, this guy, if, if this guy wants to keep going back, he probably doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to grind. Like, the big-time D1 baseball is easier than the low levels of minor leagues in terms of, like, the, the lifestyle. You know, they take care of you better. It's fun. You, you know, college is fun. Well, minor leagues is not. So, to me, that's going to be the interesting part is those juniors. Do they take $20,000 to chase their dream, if it's their dream, or do they go back to have it easy at college for another year?
1: Yeah, that's great. And knowing that the 2021 draft is going to be much deeper now Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. this draft, obviously. But if you're a guy that's a legit top round, top five round talent, you really have to weigh that. Like, if I go another year, if I don't sign and go to another year, I may not be a top five round pick because now the field is a lot larger. Um, I still think that the, I think it all comes down to leverage with the with the five rounds. And I don't think I don't see anything that changes the leverage of like the top two rounds of this draft no you know,
0: like agree, I agree with you I, I would even say I looked at there's 100 uh what is it there 123 picks total for yeah. the five rounds is that right 37 in the first round I honestly think probably the, the there's gonna be 100 picks that it changes nothing for then those last 23 might be cost cutting um measures and then it starts then the, the phone calls start coming to the player like hey we'll take you but we're only gonna give you half a slot because we need it here and then that's where they have to make their decisions and that's where an agent comes in um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think the top hundred picks, nothing changes with that. But the, to me, the interesting part is then that the the 100 to four hundredth ranked player that used to get drafted and used to sign for probably a hundred thousand dollars, it's called a hundred, whatever it was before that, that's a big difference. 20,000 to 125,000 obviously is a big difference. So I don't know what they do. I don't know what it, it used to be a simple to me as an agent, it would have been a simple decision. If you have a kid at a even a Power Five, and he could sign for one hundred twenty-five thousand, it doesn't matter the round. Let's call it even. He gets in the thirtieth round, but they're going to give him one hundred twenty-five thousand because he's at a Power Five, and they know they have to give him that in another year of school. Um, but now I, I don't know for twenty thousand and a year of school, it, it's not as clear cut as an answer. I, I don't think anyway.
1: No, I, I don't think twenty. 20- only twenty thousand moves the needle for any player that would otherwise command one hundred twenty-five thousand in the draft. well what are like, we going to get the next year as a senior? Well, you have to you have to weigh the college experience and and the. You know, do you feel like you can better and develop in the next year and be a better ball player for the next year's draft on an individual level, you know, with a deeper draft and everything, but then also betting on that there's going to be at least a certain amount number of draft rounds. So, But
0: even then, what the, what have seniors, you, you, you're probably paying attention more, I haven't paid attention the last couple of years, what are seniors been, college seniors? been getting in those later rounds now what what what's the
1: expected so you're talking about college seniors specifically I'm talking about college that's what I'm
0: talking this situation is that junior to senior not the college junior because obviously they they have leverage um you know there's a big difference between going to you know sign at a high school college I'm talking about the college junior this year um does he sign for 20,000 if he truly wants to play Major League Baseball, I don't know if he gets twenty thousand next year. Other than if he suddenly transforms himself into an All American, um, you know, he still probably won't even get that five ten thousand. I mean, maybe he's lucky and they take him in the eighth round and they're like, "Dude, we'll give you five thousand
1: because you're a cost saver." I, I just think the twenty thousand is so tough for a junior because I mean, it's a, it doesn't after taxes, it's not going to pay for. If you're smart, you want it to, even if you, you don't make a ton of money in the draft and you're, you're legitimately a guy that would normally command. in the draft. That can at least be spent towards a decent cost of living while you're going through the minor leagues. Like that could, that'll give you an allowance. That'll give you, like, hey, I don't have to like bunk up with four kids if I don't want to. I can actually like just bunk up with one guy and and pay normal rent and, you know, at least be taken care of that way and not eat McDonald's every night. Uh, whatever. I don't have to
0: sleep on an air mattress in the middle of the living room because we're paying two hundred dollars each because that's all we can afford. Yeah, but preach. My point is though, but, but my point is though, that kid's not going to get one hundred twenty five
1: thousand as a senior. Well, they, they don't know what what next year's draft is going to be. I mean, they, they yeah, sell still
0: How many seniors get $125,000? Oh, oh,
1: you're saying leverage wise as a senior, you're not going to get it anyway. Yeah, he's not getting that. Like, how well, well, if he
0: plays himself into a top twenty player in the country.
1: So hold Which on, the NCAA, really NCAA has given them the year eligibility back, right? Yeah. So th- they're technically still have – leverage hasn't changed. They could still go back for a fifth year if they want. They could still create leverage. It's, it's a lot trickier for the player to do that. They have to you know, basically play a fifth year uh, and have their coach.
0: Now we're getting into age, though, too. So you Absolutely. know you as a scout, the, the, the age thing. Now I'm 22. If I'm a scout, the first thing I look at is the age. I go see a kid. I, you know, like we talked I was just saying, if your kid's 23 beating up competition in college and he, in that, at that point, he's already supposed to be kind of breaking into double A. So like to truly make money in the big leagues, you have to get into the pro ball at those appropriate ages to kind of move up. So you can, you know, barring a new CBA, I mean, you got to get to those beers, You got to get to your six year free agent, which if you start that clock at 26, you're not getting there, you know, cause you, Spend two, three years in the minor leagues. You're 29, no, nobody's hanging around till 35 other than guys that are special. Like guys that are special and they're already drafted. They're not at 24, not drafted. If you're gonna play till you're 35. So that that's my question. I, I just think it's super interesting the advice to those college juniors this year to sign or go back cuz yeah i mean there's there's to me though it's it's artificial leverage because they're getting older it's not true leverage like you have when you're a 21 year old junior or a 20 year old junior I don't even know if those are anymore, if those exist anymore. I guess there's a couple of them, but most kids, and I see it with all these private school kids, they they hold them back and they're so old. So, like, I know colleges don't care because they don't care if the kid they're getting is 19 or 20 coming in because they just want that. But I know pro-wise, you know, obviously you want the kids, you know, younger still has a chance to develop. They have a chance to grow physically, you know. Um, they have more years to get better. So I think that age has a big thing to do with it too.
1: I, I think we're generalizing to all players into one box uh, for sure. the most part. But, like – I. Now, do you think there – I think there's, there's certain situations where it does make sense to play your senior year or your quote-unquote senior year, or – and then there's also situations where it makes sense, makes sense to take the 20 grand as a junior and just get into pro ball and get after it. The other thing that I was thinking was, you know, if you sign this year as a junior – we still don't know this. If you sign as a junior and you go into pro ball, when's your first opportunity to compete yeah. in pro yeah. ball?
0: So yeah. are they going to
1: have fall ball? Are they going to have Instructional League? Are they going to have Arizona Fall League? Obviously, the newly drafted players when going to there. But is your first opportunity to compete going to be spring training? So then you have like a basically a two-month, three-month window to, or a head start on next year's draft as opposed to a full year. Mm-hmm. So that, that's interesting too. Um, yeah, but, uh,
0: that, that's a big point. Yeah, that's true.
1: So that factors in as well. So it's just there's so much uncertainty right now. That I I guess it does, you know, it obviously always depends on the individual and the individual circumstance, what makes sense for that specific player. And I do think there's variations of what makes sense for different players. Like, for example, here's a a situation where he got redshirted one year, so he's technically Mm -hmm. a sophomore, but he's a junior in college, you know? So he's a junior and he's left-handed and he had a breakout year last year as a setup guy and he went down the Cape and did pretty well. And now he's draft eligible for the first time, but he's a left-handed pitcher. And I kind of give them a little bit more rope, longer rope in pro ball than I do, you know, let's say, you know, an outfielder.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there.
1: So like little, little things like that, I think you really have to look at the individual player and and make a decision from there. But, but overall, I, I agree with your point that it's, even though it's still 20 grand, if, if. Five years from now you're playing in the big leagues you don't care if it was a hundred grand or I mean you make that up in a couple of weeks the difference between signing for one hundred twenty five and signing for twenty
0: sure but the, if you could get the arbitration if you're really looking at it this way if you can get the arbitration at a younger age, who knows what the new cBA will be you, you have more potential to make more money later on but i you know it's funny when you were when i was just talking about this the 20 grand i was totally thinking position wise i don't even think about pitchers like <laughs> like pitchers yeah go back as a pitcher because you could like suddenly suddenly you, you you develop a new pitch you're throwing three four miles an hour harder you can slip and get paid because i think pitchers are a little easier to scout that way as a position guy you need those at bats you need to get in um I, I would think it would be harder in theory you could take a guy off the street. And if he he's just been practicing for years, he's not even playing games, but he's throwing 98 miles an hour, he can spot it, he can, he can throw a breaking ball, he can do this because he just has the reps. You could put him right into the big leagues and he might be able to compete. He probably could compete as long as he can control his emotions. That's a different thing. But just in terms of the game. But if you took a kid who has the physical hitting tools, but he's never seen ninety-eight at bats two thousand at bats like you need in the minor leagues to develop or even through the major league he's he, you can't throw him right into the big league so that's why i think it's interesting pitching compared to hitting pitching is kind of more in a vacuum because you're doing your own thing it doesn't really matter what that guy is doing there whereas a hitter you need those reps off the guys throwing because I, I was talking to somebody and i thought it was an interesting point they it was a kid who had a very good summer um and he was supposed to go up the Cape when they're not having the Cape. Now, do you go back to a lower level league if they open up? And to me, I don't think you do I, because I, I, I don't think you're going to see the pitching well enough that's going to – that's gonna make you a better ball player. If you only have two months left this summer, I would say stay home, work out, get healthy, get strong, You know, do your work there. Because if you're just going seeing 88, right-handed 88, you're gonna see that every day. That's not, that's not learning anything that's gonna help you at the pro level. You need to see that consistent velocity, like if you went up to the Cape or Team USA, I, I think there's, there's, there's instances like that that become really interesting. But that's, to me, that's the position player, you need to get into pro baseball because you need those at bats. Where as a pitcher, yes, I think you're you're 100 right. You're you could stay back and look at it. Hey, man, I'd rather stay here at UConn for one more year, or you know Harvard or wherever it is, or you know UVA and enjoy my life, and then I'll go drafted. And they're still going to probably put me into high A if I'm a lefty throwing 95 and spot. Um, whereas a position player is probably a little bit.
1: With the summer leagues right now, like, so I was just speaking to some of the players that I've, that I'm advising and it seems like the futures league is going to try to play up here in New England and NECBL and the Cape have already decided to not play. So that's interesting because I'm seeing some activity on Twitter where some of the teams are announcing that they're signing these players that had played in the Cape last year as a freshman. So now, now they're, they're in the futures league. They're going like kind of two levels below to play in this futures League because it's the only league playing right now you may okay so to your point you don't want to go to those leagues because you're going to see lesser competition but if the competition comes to those leagues could it could it actually be a better league than it normally is and be worth playing
0: sure Uh, i just i can't i can't see i can't see as a position player it comes down to if the pitchers are going there and I, i i'd be scared personally as a pitcher they don't have that season that they pitch they're already in shape like guys are gonna be ramping up and I'd be scared to go into a summer league um, with basically no spring training, no spring season. Like you're going to, they're kids. They're going to want to go and compete. And I just don't know if they should go right on the mound, like trying to throw. I I think you might see a rash of some arm injuries from people being too overzealous because let's be honest no matter what you're doing right now it's not like playing games and going throwing your 90 pitches on a Friday night or even coming out of the bullpen throwing your consistent bullpens, being at school doing your stuff so I, I just I, I think there's something with that too that it's scarier for a pitcher to go position player you're not you know whatever you go play maybe you're not developing but I, I don't think there's any risk involved in terms of um you know injury wise more than normal where i I could see some for a pitcher because they don't have their ramp up they don't have that whole spring um which you know i i don't know we'll see what happens
1: yeah that's i mean for me it's like that's where you really need to have good communication with your college pitching coach and understand like that that should be the person that's you know you're relying on to understand if you can do that or not if you're prepared to you know jump into uh A summer league when they're you know you haven't had a sprint training or any sort of you know usually they have you know 40 games under their belt at that point before they go to these summer leagues so it's definitely a concern I think it's a concern for the major league teams re-entering baseball right now and what kind of spring training obviously the union is that's like probably the first the number one priority for them you know getting these players pitchers specifically back on the field healthy so they're not blowing out arms as they try to squeeze a season in you
0: know yeah i mean i think at the big league level though you can control it so much more and they're they're not gonna roll guys out there they can they can pitch limit they can do some like i would now i'm talking about the one percent pitchers too i'm talking about we're talking i mean when i'm talking about this i'm talking about pitchers who legitimately have a shot to get drafted pretty high and play professional baseball i would say 99 percent of you guys if you guys like are playing at home go to your league you're not playing pro ball anyway just go pitch if you're that dude you're right you throwing 89 go play wherever you want like nobody cares no you know you may think somebody's watching nobody cares about you um <laughs> but, like i this is this is for the guys who legitimately have a shot to make some money in the draft um, I just be worried you get up there you're gonna be you're the guy that's gonna be better you go out you throw three innings the four innings shut out ball because you're you're sitting 9293 you're you're you know you're spinning it a little bit now three or four days later you're not feeling quite right that guy might roll you out there again because he doesn't care he's a summer right. dude and honestly he's probably he's probably a kid who's four years out of playing that's just you know he he wants you to go out there and play so that would be my work if i was one of those top level guys so necessarily be the first start it would be how they make like how they manage you after those the initial
1: start so with the the draft being five rounds i I guess i wasn't thinking about those players if i'm those players i'm shut down like there's no way i'm risking an injury from now until the draft so so i guess when i made that that comment about you know playing in those leagues this year it's for the guys that are not going to go in the first five rounds. I would not risk, definitely wouldn't risk that. Uh, There's no, it's not worth it. What about a top
0: 10 rounder for next year? I would perfectly shut them down. Like for me, just because there's too much uncertainty this summer, even with, who knows, picking up the disease while flying and going somewhere else. I just can't see much good coming from, just start it up in the fall. Get to your fall team, they'll have it set up. They're gonna have your throwing program, you're gonna have your fall ball, you'll ramp up the thing. Obviously do your throwing this summer, Then it's somebody like, okay, Khalil Green. You remember Khalil Green? Great shortstop, played with the Padres. Um, Khalil wasn't happy with where he was drafted his junior year. He didn't go play summer ball. He just stayed at Clemson and lifted. Came back, I believe he won the Golden Spikes, and he went in the first round, which is unheard of. He got paid his million dollars as a senior because he did what he wanted his junior year. He's like, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to get a little bit stronger, and for him it worked because Khalil was a guy who – I mean, his skills were off the chart. He caught every single ball. He threw every single ball perfect. He barreled every single ball in college. I mean, he was the best college baseball player I had ever seen. And then on top of that, he got a little more physical, which took him from, you know, uh, being, a, I, I don't know the exact draft, but look at his junior year. I'd I guess and say it was in the 20th or 30th. And they probably offered a minimal. And then he went to be the Golden Spikes guy in a first round pick and got over a million dollars and kind of got to the big leagues really quickly. So he, he took that summer. Now Khalil was a super hard worker too when he took and he, he worked his butt off after a full season um, there. So I think you got to look at individually what's best for your game. Now, if you're a kid who's going to sit home and ne- not work out and you don't have a support system to, to do workouts with, then maybe you go play. Because I I see it like, so my son, my son's a freshman this year. We had our baseball season canceled. And I've actually, I think he'll be developed more because of this. Because we can go out and I hit him 50 to 100 round balls every day. He hits his 60 to 80 swings each, each side. You know, we do it five, six days a week. He throws. So even if we'd be having a high school baseball season, he would be getting less reps than he's getting now. I'm basically training him like a Dominican Busco. We go out and we're just working on his tools every day. And I do think that's actually gonna help because I can just see his actions as a fielder getting better in, in weeks times. Him being able to drive the ball the other way from both sides of the plate in a couple weeks, just, just the slow improvements that that reps take. And I think that's one of the things in the United States we don't do well enough. We We don't know how to get the correct reps to build the tools that Major League Baseball wants. I think that's one of the disconnects in amateur coaching, where I think why the Dominican has such a better percentage of guys coming from their island to play pro ball is because they understand the value of tools. And so even if they're just doing it to get a higher signing bonus, actually at the end of the day, it benefits them to get to the major leagues because they have a tool. And maybe they're just the best fielder on the island. Well, that's a tool. Like, if you're the best shortstop in the country, even if you hit 150, someone is taking you because you're going to always have a spot on a team. I mean, shoot, we've seen guys in AAA. um, You know, I don't, what is it, Cosma? I mean, I mean, the dude hasn't hit 200 in five years. I don't, I'm (laughs) quoting. But, like, he's on a AAA roster because he can pick it. He's a top 50 shortstop in the world. If you start becoming a top 50-something in the world defensively, you know, bat-to-ball guy, base runner, you're going to have a spot on a roster. And I think a lot of kids would be better off doing that with their summer is figuring out that tool, that skill they need to be doing, um, than going playing bad baseball.
1: Now, we're, this is talking
0: for guys who want to have the ability to play pro ball. This isn't for the normal guy.
1: So that, that's, a, that's a perfect segue into the tools, the slide and scale tools discussion that I was, mm. I, I was kind of licking my chops on. But like, do, do you think amateur players, for the most part, do, do you think there is that disconnect where you know, they don't know what it takes or what they're being evaluated on, evaluated on as they go through high school, college, and even into the minor leagues on a tools level?
0: Yes, but also, too, I, 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 I don't think they should because they haven't been exposed to it. unless you've you're come from a baseball hotspot and you've worked out with other first rounders or other high drafts and you see what they do really well, you might be the guy who is the best player on your high school team. You're the best. You're the best at your mid major. So you're like, well, why am I not getting drafted? But you then until you get on the field and see like what a double a field looks like and how fast these guys are, how strong these guys are, how hard they hit the ball, how hard the little second baseman hit the ball. Um, then you realize the, the tools thing. So, I, I mean, I can't blame these kids because they don't have a point of reference because you're just not out there. Not everybody is lucky enough to work out with high-level pro guys and see what it really looks like. Um, so, everybody knows what's fast. But, again, there's a million dudes that run a 6-3 that go to college that don't play. There's guys on every roster, pretty much in D1 baseball, not every roster. What's it called top hundred rosters that run six threes and sit the bench, six three sixties. So if anybody like that, um, but if you're the best bat to ball guy on the team, you're playing on whatever team you're on. If you have the most power on the team, you're almost most likely going to play, even if you're striking out a bunch, because you still like guys who can knock it out of the yard. And if you're the best shortstop on your team defensively, you're probably going to play. I mean, I, it comes back to those tools, but it's 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 hard to it's hard to tell a kid what a what a 50 hitter is actually like a major league on a 50 on a major league scale the fact that a major league 50 could probably be put into a d1 college season and i'm gonna guess and say he'd strike out six to seven percent of the time so if you're the kid who's striking out 20 percent of your bats you you might think you're a good hitter but the guy who's at a 50, an average big league hitter, probably would strike out 6 or 7% of the time. And I think that's where the disconnect is. Because it's, it's the same thing why I think there's so much money made off parents in baseball. You, you go to a basketball game, an AAU game, and your son gets dunked on. And the guy's just, you know, hanging his balls in your son's face. You know that dude's better than your son. Your son goes up to bat off the dude, throw 90. He hits a line drive to left. Even he goes out like, well, dude, my guy hit it off him. It's hard to evaluate baseball from the average person's point of view. I think it's easier to evaluate football. You can tell who the monster is. Basketball, you can tell who the monster is. Baseball, everybody kind of looks the same. You know, like for, for a person who doesn't, no, or just a parent or the kid. There's, you know, there, there's not much difference between the three hitter at UMass Lowell and University of Florida. But there is, you know, um, and I think that's what, what makes the game interesting. And that's what, what, what breeds the false hope.
1: This is another question that I asked Bill Miller the other day, which is something that I have an opinion on. But I, I wonder if what other people think who actually have played the game. You look at other sports and like football basketball let's use those two as an example you take you take the amount of physicality that is needed to just get in and play at the college Mm. and professional level compared to the skill that is needed at whatever position you know you take a a nba center probably doesn't need as much skill as the point guard but he does need the size and he needs to be a, a presence and strength and all that because he's playing down in the middle of the paint you look at football And football is a great example. If you look at offensive linemen, you see offensive linemen that are 6'6", 320, 350, right? Like you see like these monster human beings. And then right next to him, you'll see a guy that's 6'2", and he's like 290, 300. But Mm -hmm. if you look at the scouting report, the guy that's 6'2 and 300 pounds, he's got he's tremendous skill, like hand skills, feet. his footwork is way more excelled than the bigger guy. So you can put the bigger guy you know, in a spot where, you know, he, he can do well, but he can get away with some things because of his size and his strength and mm-hmm. all that. But you could also, a guy that's 6'2 can actually get in there as well, but he has to have, like, he can't just be a, a, a lead-footed dude. Sure. That, but when you look at baseball, size, physicality, none of that really matters a whole lot. There's not like a huge spectrum in that category, but you need to have high-level skills at different areas. Like it's more of a skill sport than a physicality sport.
0: Sure, one hundred percent. It's a blend of it. Again, you could you could take a guy who's just so physical, um, like wrestlers. Pro wrestlers have tried to make the transition to NFL, and some have been somewhat successful. You know, they'll even get through a training camp. Um, where baseball, I mean, you know, the arguably Michael Jordan, very similar athlete to me. We both hit about two hundred in double A. So you know, very you know, I'm. I, comparable to michael jordan in terms of our double a ability um but you know <laughs> arguably the greatest athlete of all time struggled a little bit um and not that he wouldn't have been a good baseball player i, I still don't see him being an impact big leaguer um but even if he was on the course you know they like to paint this rosy picture while he hit you know he was hitting 384 in the fall league and then game yeah everybody hits 384 in the fall league dude i knew a million dudes hit 400 in fall league and they have their cup of coffee it doesn't mean jordan was gonna Go on and be an all-star Let's let's ease on that. You know he did hit 200 in his in his full year of double A, um. But but then I do think the skills are hidden. There's some tools are hidden. Like Altuve is the great example. Every dad wants to tell his kid he's Altuve. Altuve runs a three nine down the first baseline Altuve is absolutely strong as an ox. Like that dude's a freak. Like he's he's more of a freak physically than a guy like Aaron Judge, because at least Aaron Judge, you see that guy walking through the room. You're like, that dude's 6'6". He's strong. He hits the ball a mile. Well, Altuve also has some free physical skills. Um, But, like, again, I do see you see guys that can play their way, and I think you see it more on the dirt. I see you see on the dirt infield guys that they have to build up those skills. You got guys who can just catch it. They hit it. They don't strike out, and they can make the big leagues. Outfielders, I think it's a little more punch dried they look the part. Outfielders look more like NBA point guards. They just do. They're 6'2", 6'3". They can fly. They're lean. They're super athletic. You can find a guy like a studio who just hit his way to the big leagues. That dude doesn't strike out at all. So it shows that if you just have one exceptional tool, which was his, was bat to ball, you could still find your way to the big leagues. And that's that's the, the interesting thing with baseball is hitting, hitting. Hitting all these internet gurus, it's still the hardest thing to do all in sports. And I think the more you teach it, the worst people actually get. They, my the more I'm around it, the more I see hitting. You need to give hitters tools to be their own coach. Um, the guys that try to overcoach hurt guys more than than that. Like because like you know all this the 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 learning the launch angles. This Daniel Murphy was a better hitter before he started talking about all this, and everybody's like, well, Daniel Murphy it out. Daniel Murphy was the best hitter in the world in that one postseason. Like he was absolutely the best. So then he starts to learn about this stuff, making adjustments. Yeah, he's still a great hitter. But it, the guys who hit, hit. Um, and I think that's one of the interesting things about baseball. And I think scouting, hitting is extremely difficult and extremely interesting.
1: Yeah, but when, when I think about hitting, I think about that's a skill more than yeah. – because like, you could be, be Aaron Judge, you could be Altuve, and everywhere in between. That, that's, it's a skill of hitting that, that kind of separates uh, those guys, not, the, not their physical – I, I wow. see hitting
0: almost like a, like a dark arts, almost like a Harry Potter wizard thing. I, I, I don't think, even if you go to the minor leagues and you take all the position guys, I, I would say, I, I'm making up numbers, 30% of them have the ability to hit at the big league level. Then it's who takes that innate magic ability and then works on their craft to perfect it, to perfect it, to perfect it. I would say you could even take some of these dudes at the minor leagues. They're great athletes. You can show them the right way to hit and they're working on it and they're still not gonna be big league hitters. I do think you almost have to have some magical ability. There's something in the timing, there's something in being able to dance with the pitcher to be able to just meet the ball with the sweet spot of the bat that can't be taught. But it obviously, it can be refined and it's a skill that can be built up. But it's almost like if you don't, if one of your parents wasn't a wizard, you're not going to be a wizard. You can't make things levitate. Um, because I've seen a million great athletes, and you see them, you know, they die at double AA, A, triple A. They're out there because they run a 6'4". They have a 100 mile an hour arm, but they're just never going to hit. And they're getting the same reps, and they're actually getting more work by their instructors in the minor leagues. And it's not that the minor league instructors. But I, I personally think professional coaches are much better than college coaches at developing. I, I just from my experience, what I've been around, 100% if I, I had a, a kid who didn't care about anything about life, like we talked about, I still would want any kid to go to college, my son, $10 million doesn't matter, he's going to college. But if you just had a, a 18 year old kid, he, you don't care about his mentality, you don't care about anything after you're better off, if you want him to play in the big leagues, you put him into pro ball at 18, because he's going to get better reps and better coaching than going to college. But that's, that's a different story than what we were talking about physically emotionally and different things that are going you know, to let you be a better human in life but i, I do think there's some sort of weird hitting magic
1: <laughs> but you know, bill miller said it was you know when i asked him the same question he goes well i mean it's the hardest thing in the world to do hit a round ball with a round bat you know he just went to the old school answer and but he was so convinced by it he's like but he, you know th- that's an all-world hitter right there won a batting champion
0: because he because he because he had the dark art and he perfected it so i've seen guys who have hitting ability but they don't work on it It, it's just funny the guys i've played with i played with a couple guys who made over 100 million dollars and they're the guys who had the ability and worked the hardest at it and even guys i was coaching independent pro ball the guys that would show up to the cage to hit the earliest were the guys who were big and ex big leaguers or ex japanese big leaguers or ex triple a players the guys who had just got cut from a ball you know because they spent their two years at a mid-major and then they went and they you know that they, they didn't care they didn't get their reps in now so i do think that there, there's a work ethic involved but I, I i think there's some sort of special thing that you have because some kids hit and some kids don't it's then what you how you take it up the ladder and you learn and you know you do different things like i i wanted to uh, even more information you look at my brother showed me an amazing thing Bregman's. if you look at alex Bregman's home run spray chart last year it is ridiculous it's like i i Again, look at it, but it's almost almost 90% of the balls maybe even more are to left field, which is not a spray chart you see for home runs because basically you have got to be cheating to do that, which makes sense that they are getting pitches, but he was able to take that information, hey, I'm looking for a fastball in here, cheat and get the barrel to the ball. Now it's going to be interesting to see if he's not getting that information, is he going to be able to replicate that? Because he basically had the short porch at, at 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 the Astros. He had information and he's an all-world bat-to-ball guy. But without that information it's going to be interesting to see what his home run chart looks like and where it goes you know down the line
1: i think i'm going to name this episode the dark art it <laughs> is i like it
0: I, I i i'm a big fan of that stuff i do think there's there's hitting energy there's there's a little bit i mean they talk about it's like being able to see the future because basically i haven't done the research but i've read enough articles that, that, that what is it maybe 20 feet away you you physically can't see the ball from 20 feet till in. So what happens is your brain, it, 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 your brain picks out where that ball is going to be and you take your bat there. So it becomes reps and seeing the pitching, you see spin, you see angles, knowing where that ball is going to be when it's at home plate to take your bat to it. So what you're essentially doing is you're seeing the future. So, I, you know, did, did I say maybe the best hitters might have some sort of innate magical ability? Uh, <laughs> possibly
1: uh, I no, mean, Ted, Williams, it. Ted Williams you love it you love
0: the seat you saw the seat where he hit the ball in Fenway that's one of your favorite things that dude did everything it's it's, great. it's my he favorite fable <laughs> but no Ted Williams is amazing um but the world moves slower for him be it fishing be it piloting being that there was something that slowed everything down and I think that's you know, like uh, a good shaman can kind of spread time or they they could condense it. So it's being able to get a little more time to see the ball. Kevin Euclid, amazing hitter, 27 vision, eyes at the top of the charts, um, you know, human ability. He could see the ball and see the spin quicker than everybody else so he could make his adjustments. Even though, you know, as a physical specimen, he was stronger and more athletic than people give him credit for. And his bat to ball was good. But he just basically probably had an extra seven or eight feet to make a decision on what to do with that pitch than everyone else in the league. Um, Eric Carroll. Is that Eric Carroll, the Karros. Dodger? Yes. So a great article on him in this book, The Sports Gene, one of the first couple chapters. They were talking about this one doctor picked him to be super successful, even though he was a later round pick because his vision was at the top of the charts and he had a ton of big league home runs. You know, so I think there's a lot, you know, there there's different things. Um, that go into hitting that we know, but we don't know all of it. There's so many factors. You talk about a sliding scale, there's, who knows, uh, you know, uh, so many variables from power to mechanics, to uh, adjustment ability, to strength in the hands, like like, like the, the, the tool of hitting is so interesting because there's so many things to go into. it. It's not like running, you either run fast or you don't. Throwing, you throw faster, you don't. Fielding, you either catch it or you don't. You know, so out of the five tools power, you hit a 500 feet or you don't. But that one tool, the hitting tool is so interesting because there's so many factors into it. And even guys, as they change their weight, I mean, you got a guy, Yasiel Puig, I mean, you probably saw him at his peak when he first came over. He was probably better when he was a little leaner than he put on a little bit too much weight um, because maybe he's turning better in his core. So now it allows his bat to be in in the strike zone a little longer. So, you know, it's also getting to that most efficient body weight for the player. I mean, you know, because you've seen Puig, right?
1: Yeah. A lot? Yeah. I saw, I I saw mean, him when like he it. first came into the States with the Dodgers. And, and then, what did he look like then? Uh, he was – he's always been a physical specimen, um, but he just – you saw the broad shoulders. You saw the – you know, I think when he came over, he was a little lighter because basically, you know, the trip he made was, you know, well-documented. as uh, mm-hmm. pretty rough, and I'm not sure how, um, how much nutrition he had. And all that, but, um, but he, you know, he was still, um, man, he looked like a, a, almost like a wrestler, you know, a wrestler. Just build. That. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that uh, I'm trying to think of a good comparison, but like when you look at, remember like, did you watch uh, WWE back in the day?
0: Yeah.
1: You remember when like Kurt Angle came into the WWE mm. and he was like super lean and he got bulkier later, but like, yeah. he's like super lean, that like athletic wrestler body. Mm. I think Puig's he's, he's a little taller. Um, sure. I would assume. Uh, but yeah, he, he, was like that. It was just this natural, like Adonis freaking figure. And, <laughs> yeah. and then he put on more muscle as he got older and, and worked out and w- lifted and gone to some, you know, sophisticated baseball programs. So, um, but yeah, you could be right. I'm I'm not sure, but, but
0: that's right. I, I like the I like, you know, it's interesting. I saw a couple of the rest of my son when he was younger, he liked it a little bit and, uh, we went And even the difference in the athletes there, they all look phenomenal. But, like, you see a guy like Randy Orton, and you could tell that dude's an amazing athlete. Long-limbed, leaned, how he moves in the ring, or a John Cena. But then you see a guy like, is it Cesaro? Look up Cesaro. The dude looks amazing. Dude's goofy as hell. Like, he looks like that dude that would hit 180 in AA, and he looks awesome in BP, hits it a mile. But it's like you're watching him move, and it's like, man, that guy can barely walk. But he's there because he looks amazing. Cesaro, if you're watching, don't come kill me because I know you're a huge dude and everything. But, like, you're not a super athlete. You're just not, you know. Um, ah, There was one guy that was super impressive. He was such a good wrestler. And he was wrestling Cena. I got to think of the guy's name, but he had the beard. It was just like a normal name, too. It was like Kevin Adams or something. It might even be something. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. But he was so good at wrestling that like his skill how we're talking about the skill he was the main event against cena because his skill was so much better hours and he could do moves with cena than these other guys and i was like wow that dude that dude has it figured out just because his skill was off the charts
1: well that's interesting sliding scale in wwe so like so like so here we go like (laughs) back when i mean i'm talking when i was a kid and i watched it I, i haven't watched it in 20 years but like I always thought that someone like Triple H had tremendous skill and he was like a bigger guy. And, you know, obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, probably had some help with that physique. Um, (laughs) but like, as far as like, you know, the kind of moves that he could do and like the, the, what he could do with his body for be a bigger guy. I always thought that he was a tremendous skill kind of guy. And then you look at the rock and Steve Austin and you're like, they're entertainers with like tremendous bodies and like they're, they're way more as, you know, so the sliding scale on WWE is uh, how much of an entertainer are you and how skillful are you? And then mm-hmm. you have to have a sliding scale of both to, you know, to make it. And if you only have yeah. one and not the other, then you're out. I you like that for you're a theory?
0: Like, so, you know, I agree with it because you look at Cena. Cena was one of the biggest guys all the time, and he looked amazing. He looks the part, and he was pretty good at it. So I think he had both of those things. Yeah, but he, he could rap. Entertainer. What's that?
1: But he could rap, so he's good. <laughs> well i just said athletically
0: he moved he moved pretty well in the ring i was super impressed with the way he handled himself but then even you got the little flyers they're fun to watch around and you know they're going off the top ropes and doing different things like uh i don't even know like back in the day it would have been maybe like a i'm not gonna say jake to snake but like a ray mysterio but you got a guy like randy macho man savage he's the classic ex minor league baseball player Who went into wrestling and was that he was a guy who threw I'm going to say this wrong I think he threw right-handed broke his right arm and taught himself to throw left-handed like so this is a dude that's just off the charts psycho the fact too that you teach yourself to do that you're so most highly successful people have some disconnect in an OCD where they have to do something every single day, and it sounds like Randy Macho Man had one of those, or does. You know, they have to be good at something. There's this innate drive to make them work at it. Like, uh, you know, you hear stories of Ichiro, and Ichiro for however long he had the exact same routine that he did 365 days a year, hitting for 25 years because he he you know, had a conversation with Votto and he, I guess he got into it with Votto because Votto had an off-season routine and an in-season routine. And Ichiro was adamant, no, one routine. He did the same thing. He was a 33.48 inch baseball bat. Like, I guess, because probably, you know, metric system, it's whatever it is. But he used the exact same bat for those 25 years. And to him, it was a magic wand. And he did his same thing for 25 years. And, you know, I mean, to me, he's arguably one of the greatest players of all time. Um, and he made the most of his skills. Like, he, he was skilled quick, everything. Like, you know, uh, pound for pound, probably top five baseball player of all time.
1: So we can add wrestlers to the uh, list of things baseball players can do that the, the wrestlers can't do.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So you, you, you could take, yes, you could take Puig and probably make him into a WWE wrestler. Yes. But I don't think you can take Cena. any of the wrestlers, Cena, and put him on a baseball field. It's just not no. going to happen.
1: <laughs> um, which goes to show you kind of, that baseball players are the most athletic athletes the most out there
0: rounded i'm not gonna say the most i'm not gonna say the most athletic but they're the most well rounded they're very they're underrated athletically i still think to me basketball players are the most impressive because there's not as much skills in baseball but there's just such innate physicality i mean because like you look at lebron lebron if you have a sport and lebron's not good at it is it really a sport because if, like, you're 6'8", strong as an ox, and you're like, nah, no, LeBron will not be good at that, uh, it's not really a sport. Like, like, if you're the biggest, strongest, most athletic man in the world, you're, you probably should be pretty good at something. Um, so that, that's, to me, where still basketball is pretty impressive because you have to have that physicality. But baseball, baseball is interesting because it's just a well-rounded athleticism, and the bodies can't get too disproportionate. Proportionate, where in football, you're very specialized. You know, like a lineman looks much different than a quarterback than looks like, a, you know, a running back or a wide receiver. You basically have just uh, – NFL is more like a dog show. You have the, you know, the best in breed. you got your greyhounds, you your this and this, where a oh. baseball would be more like the all-arounders. You have the sporting class, the dog that can do a little bit of everything. That's probably not a good analogy. I'm I love that analogy. By, I kind of <laughs> like it,
1: yeah. NFL is like a dog show.
0: It is. It really is. Like, you got your, you know, your different things. You got your greyhounds as your wide receivers. I'm trying to think of what the what the offensive lineman would be. Um, just your big oafing. I'm not going to say, maybe even St. Bernard. You got your St. Bernard. Like, that's a good one. They got the beards. They got the thing, the jowls and everything. Just sweating everywhere, drooling. Um, <laughs> you know, you got your pit bulls for a running back. Just all muscle coming through there. Like, uh, your greyhounds. Really worked, uh, yeah, your greyhounds are out running their, their, your, your Randy Moss, Um, you know, your, your quarterbacks, probably, like your, your smart dogs your German Shepherd, just yeah. kind of leading back there. Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, who's, uh, you know, who's an underrated athlete? And I can't exactly. speak. I can, I'm just, I'm just theorizing here. But on, like, no, 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 no. What, what I mean is, I wouldn't be surprised if they were more like baseball players than the other sports as hockey players.
0: Oh, great. Hockey players, and they're crazy. I mean, they're, they're off nuts. the charts, crazy, nuts, tough. Um, Amir Garrett said an interesting thing, I thought, the other day. You know Amir Garrett, the lefty yep. pitcher? He uh, made the comment that, like, because he played basketball, too. I believe he played at St. John's. He's yep. like, basketball players grind, but it's nothing like baseball. And I, I don't think anybody realizes, and hockey is similar, the fact when you're playing so many games – and you don't get your body to rest. You know, I, I have this this talk a lot with parents or strength coaches. They don't realize like, yeah, lifting is great and all, but when you're playing 162 games in 180 days, you're you're lifting to maintain. Like you don't tell your coach, Hey coach, I can't play today. My my quads are sore because I, I, I maxed out on squat yesterday. Like you play. Like you basically you you can't you can't do stuff to keep your body built up. Your body has to be what it is. When in football, you have a week to prepare your body. So you can get your lift, you can stay strong. Baseball is a different animal. It, it's, I mean, you're, you are what you are, you know, and even basketball, you can prepare. It's easier to lift than basketball with 82 games. You play your games, you have a couple off days, you can kind of schedule lifts here or there. You can even break down your body some. In baseball during a pro season, you can't break down your body. You can't go and have a hard lift and be sore for a day or two and give away those at bats or that thing now as a starting pitcher you can as a starting pitcher you can pitch do your workout etc you're on a schedule but as a position player you can't do that I mean I, I don't know I don't know any successful guys I mean i played with a lot of guys that were super crazy in the weight room I've seen the guys that everybody looked at at the weight room blah wow, that dude strong as anything and then they top out in double a and they have some weird back injury because you just can't do it all like you know that's why I like like for me a guy like Puig, like if I was Puig's agent um now this would have been years ago I would have probably tried to keep him off the weights as much as possible now you want him working out you want him lean you want him moving but he has enough natural strength he doesn't need he's not going to benefit anything from being stronger he's just gonna have more weight on his hamstrings on his body you know like so there's that that fine line of knowing what your player your client needs um some guys are going to need more than less and it's just kind of going with that natural ability but most natural baseball but, but your point was the hockey hockey yeah hockey guys are animals and they're skilled they transition to golf really well too you see a lot of really good hockey players going in that and which is which is another skill game the hockey guys and baseball guys are kind of drawn to golf or golf you know um afterwards because it's that individual working on that skill type thing which i find interesting you see quarterbacks too and it makes sense quarterbacks are the skill guys they kind of move over to there
1: well it doesn't have to do with the 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 motion of what they do for a living. I mean, if you're shooting the puck or you're swinging the bat or you're, uh, what's the other example you used? Like a quarterback. Quarterback, you're throwing the ball. It's, uh, you're, you're basically opening up your hips and firing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, so, and then yeah. same thing with golf. So that I, could, that I could see that where it's, you know, if you're offensive lineman or something like that, you're just, you're really just more vertical than it is twisting. Hey, you go crush, crush a 30 rack of bush lights when you're done. <laughs> yeah move the guy in front of you yeah. forward. But that makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, I remember when going golf with you specifically. I think it was the first time I really noticed it where like just going to top golf and you could clear your hips so easily. And that's probably, that's probably a good reason why pe- people aren't athletes is that they can put their position, their bodies in positions that other people can't along with the skill that they have. So, but I, but my point is when I, when I went golfing with you and some of the other players, it was amazing to me how, how fluid their torso was compared to me. Rotationally, yeah. Rotationally, yeah. compared to me where I, I have a hard time with it and I'm slicing everything because I, I can't get through my hips.
0: That's one of the things I like to look for in a, hip or, in a hitter is the amount of natural turn. You see a guy who's too linear, it's tough to hit because they just can't get that separation. Um, I, I think one of the resources you should use, and even for your players, even just to read, just to get information, is my TPI. So Tyler's Performance Institute, they're a golf-based thing, but they give really good information out um, because they're they're big on... They're big on what, so when they get a guy coming to TPI, they work with the physical limitations. They put you through a battery test and they're like, well, we're not going to teach you a swing you can't physically do. We're going to work with something you can do because there's guys on tour, PJ tour that have learned they have deformities that they can't necessarily, maybe they can't turn as good as a Rory McIlroy, but they can do these other things. Well, so they're like, well, let's, let's make that the best. I, I love that. I love their thought process with that. I think golf is 10 years ahead of baseball coaching just because of the money in it and the type of to be able to golf you have to pretty much come from a higher socioeconomic status so you have a little more money to put into coaching this but i think golf they've just done it for longer too and they they understand some of that high level things that i think will trickle down to baseball and it has towards hitting Um, but i think that knowing the specific limitations of a of a player a hitter specifically is important because two guys don't move the same
1: thanks for listening your support is greatly appreciated so please subscribe like and leave a five star review wherever you listen to your podcast we will see you next week with another mound visit.